before we enter into uh, our message study time this morning, let's ask God to bless us and begin with a word of prayer. Father, there's, there's something about opening Your Word to the book of Job that uh, sobers us up in our thinking and, and uh, makes us uh, aware that, that there is a, a wisdom that exists, Father, that we sometimes do not, do not uh, appropriate and, and, and make use of and appreciate and embrace and love the way that we should. And for that we repent. We repent of, of, a, of a, a negligence, a lack of diligence when it comes to study. And we repent, Father, of, of our, uh, the decisions that we make to transgress, to, to break, to, to not honor, to not live according to this wisdom and Your will for our lives. And so we're asking, Father, with humble hearts that You will help us to study and, and to continue studying all the days of our life, pouring Your Word into our mind and into our heart, Father, in such a way that we, we learn not only to love the, the, the sound of each and every syllable of it, but that we seek with all of our strength, with all of our being, to, to, to live according to that wisdom all the days of our life. We pray, Father, for eyes that see and ears that hear. And we pray for the blessing, Father, of being transformed into the likeness of Jesus in part because of how this Word impacts us this morning. And we pray this with all of our heart in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. There are different kinds of, of literature or genres that you find in the Bible. It's poetry, there's narrative, there's gospel, there's, uh, there's prophecy, there's apocalyptic literature, a type of genre, the way that uh, the, the words are strung together by the Holy Spirit and have come to us as inspired. But really there are two kinds of Bible texts in the Bible that we encounter on a daily basis. Some, some Bible passages are simple and profound. And some passages in the Bible are complex and profound. The passage that Justin has read for us out of Job chapter 28 is simple and profound. And it says something, many things in fact, but it says some very dear things that, that we need to embrace about wisdom and our need to recognize it, our need to recognize God's wisdom. If you are facing a difficulty in life and you don't know quite how to bear it, or you're facing a decision, you have to make a decision. You cannot put it off. You cannot deny it. You can't d delay it. You, there's a decision that you have to make and you don't quite know how to make it. Or there's a relationship and some of the things that are taking place inside of that, that relationship are, are, are they, they, they seem difficult and hard to navigate. How do you do it? That's why we need biblical wisdom. 
That's why we need God's wisdom. And if you don't have wisdom, then you are not going to be able to bear it and decide it and to navigate it. We have to pay attention to God's Word. We have to pay attention to the Bible. And we have to pay attention to the Bible as if, because it is in reality, God speaking Himself from heaven to us. And I want to uh, say uh, uh, three things uh, about wisdom this morning. You can write them down in your outline. Uh, the first is, you know, there is a wisdom that's essential to life. You've got to have it. And then number two, the only wisdom worth having is God's wisdom. And the last thing we'll think about this morning is, so how do you get it? How do you become a wise person? Let's begin with that first one. Wisdom is essential to life. Let me say that again. When you think about all the things you need in life, wisdom is the top. Wisdom is essential to life. In this passage out of Job, what we're reading in essence is, is a poem about wisdom. And the poem starts out, about drilling and mining for precious stones and, and drilling and mining and digging in the rock for minerals. And you tunnel through the rock and you try to find those precious diamonds and things of great worth. But then Job says in verse 12, but where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? In verse 15, it cannot be bought with the finest gold, nor can its price be weighed out in silver. This is a poetic way of saying that we work awfully hard for gold and for silver, but they do not compare in any way to the value of wisdom and mining that out of where it can be found. In Proverbs chapter 8, Solomon writes, Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is more what? Wisdom is more what, church? Precious. Wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. So why is wisdom so valuable, and why is, why is this so important? Well, the word wisdom and, and its synonym, understanding, appear in verses 12, 20, and then down again in verse 28, and they are the two main words you're going to find in the Old Testament for this very important thing. The Hebrew word for wisdom is chokmah, which means mastery in the sense of being able to put something to use. Understanding is a Hebrew word as well. It's the word bana, and it means insight, as in to understand how things work, how they're put together. So wisdom is not just a knowledge of facts. You know, the guy that wins the trivia pursuit game can have a lot of facts, but he may not be very wise. So it's more than just a knowledge of the facts. It's also how you put those facts together in a usable way that can be applied to life and give it success. It's not just morality. And it's not just uh, obedience to God's law, but knowing how to live faithfully to God even in those cases that are not specifically addressed in Scripture. Now you know as well as I do that sometimes all we need are the facts, as in, what kind of medicine to take with this kind of a health issue? If your arm is, is bleeding profusely, you need to do something more than just take aspirin. You need to tie that tourniquet. And there are other times when you need the moral law, as, as if you know, when you're weighing whether or not to commit adultery. 
You don't have to weigh the matter for weeks and weeks on end. The moral law, thou shalt not commit adultery, is pretty cut and dry. You're thinking about it. There's that beautiful woman at work, or there's that neighbor across the street that keeps looking at me. I, I think that you know they want to have this affair with me. You don't have to weigh for weeks on end whether or not you're going to commit adultery, whether or not you should do it. The law says, no, don't do it. The same is true with any kind of a sexual relationship. You don't do it outside of marriage. And having the law like that stops you in your tracks from transgressing that moral law of God. So sometimes you do need the moral law and sometimes you, you need the facts. But what if the issue is whether or not you should break up with this person or you should marry them? Or maybe it's, should I take this job or that job? Or should I stay, or maybe should I speak or stay quiet on this subject? Now, each one of these things that I've just mentioned is more morally allowable, so you need more than just maybe the moral law to help you decide what to do. But here's the thing. If you make a terrible decision involving these things, then it might devastate or even destroy your life. And this is where godly wisdom becomes more precious than silver or gold. Now, in Proverbs, there is described this fool who ignores wisdom completely. He's the one that makes bad decisions. He hurts himself. He hurts other people. And in most cases, he hurts both of these. Or in Proverbs, you're not the fool, but you are wise when it comes to making decisions. And in understanding God's will in making these decisions, it leads to a blessed life. So how does Proverbs illustrate this? Well, a number of ways. Let me give you three very quickly. The first is you have to know yourself. You know, uh, when Cliff McCauley and I have lunch together, one of the things that we remind ourselves and, and talk about uh, frequently is just what a great gift it is to be given, to receive the precious gift of a sense of self. To really know who you are because the problem is sometimes we have an inflated view of ourselves and sometimes we don't understand our limits and it's more than just visions of grandeur sometimes we're just really unrealistic because we don't have a sense of self what does proverbs say proverbs 26 do you see a person wise in their own eyes the answer is yes well there is more hope for a what fool than for them you know you have to know yourself number two you have to know the seasons and the settings you have to know the circumstances the context timing all of this is it not true that you can do the right thing for the right reason and it still end up and just explode all over the place and end up in a disaster the answer is yes have you ever loved someone and wanted to help them out with some information about themselves only to have it blow up in your face because you did not understand that you were talking to someone of the opposite sex who did not, and, and you did not understand that there are gender differences. Ellen comes up to me and she says, what do you think about what I have on? Now, as a foolish young husband, I may think that she wants me to break it down scientifically color schemes and fabrics and, and I can begin to critique and talk about all the different things when really, you know what, what she really wants and this is the wise part coming out all she really wants to know is do I think she's pretty 
But sometimes we don't get that. Proverbs 22, verse 3, the prudent sees danger and takes refuge. (laughs) But the what? Simple. Keep going and pay the penalty. And then number three, you have to understand the complexities of life. For example, the thoroughgoing secular person, the modern person, the Western person, will say that we are here by accident and there is no absolute morality, so you're really kind of free to do whatever it is that you want to do. So that is the person that says, there is no God, there's no absolute morality, you can do whatever it is you want to do. On the flip side of that is the moralist who says, you always have to do the right thing. And when you do the right thing, you're always doing the right thing, then everything's going to go right. The Bible would say that both of these views are wrong. Life is more complex than that. Susan Niemeyer, in her book, uh, Evil in, in Modern Thought, it, it, she's, she's a, a, a Jewish woman born in Atlanta who lives in Germany now as the head of a think tank uh, at the Einstein uh, Institute in Potsdam, Germany. And she is one of the, the, the leading uh, uh, philosophers in, in the Western world right now. Uh, coming from a Judeo-Christian background. And one of the things that she says is that the biggest problem facing the secular philosopher is the question of evil, sometimes in the form of natural disaster and sometimes in the form of a human being. And she goes all the way back to this great earthquake that took place in Lisbon in the, in the, the 18th century where thousands and thousands and thousands of people died and people began to question what in the world is happening in the world. And her conclusion is, based on all of the Western, great Western philosophers, is that secularism does not have an answer for the bad things that are happening in life. And neither does the moralist who is trying to do everything right and and working hard and expending energy. And listen, friends, don't hear me saying that you shouldn't do right. You should always do right. Even when it doesn't make sense, you do what is right. But it's it's different from being the moralist in the sense of the moralist trying to, to, to justify and to control everything by doing what is right. And so when the bad thing happens, what do they say? I didn't deserve this. What's going on? I didn't deserve this. What does Proverbs say about it? Well, look at Proverbs chapter 14. All hard work brings profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. In other words, in Proverbs, you can work hard and you can work hard and you can work hard. You can provide for yourself and good things can happen through hard work. But also Proverbs 27, do not forsake your friend or a friend of your family and do not go to your relative's house when disaster strikes you. Better a neighbor nearby than a relative far away. Hard work can bring a profit. Hard work is a great thing, but it will not protect you from disaster. Why? Life is complex. And part of that is the understanding that we live in a fallen world, a fallen state of humanity and a fallen world. And I'm telling you that the more you seek God's wisdom, instead of spending so much time watching television, instead of spending so much time listening to anything else in the world, and listen, I'm I'm not here to say that, 
that, you know, it's a sin to watch television. But what I am saying is that it's a sin to not know God's Word. It's a sin to not know the inspired Word of God better than we know the, the lines out of movies and the lines out of television shows and the lines of, of songs and, and popular music. You know what that means? You know, the fact that we can memorize all of these lines and from movies and from TV shows and, and from, and from uh, popular music, you know what that means? It means that we're very capable of memorizing. We're just choosing to memorize the wrong thing. And we sing that song over and over and over again as a part of our church assembly, not because it's just a pretty song, but because it's Scripture and because it's right. God's Word is what leads us and is more precious than gold. The more we see God's wisdom, the better able we are going to be in dealing with life successfully and making wise decisions. Do you know why God's people perish? Because they lack Oh, they lack wisdom. Which brings us to sort of an important question. Where do we find that wisdom for life? Think about the book of Job. Think about its context first. You know, sometimes we go to Job and we think, you know what, here's a book of poetry and here's a book of argumentation. I mean, it sounds like a courtroom from time to time and it's just these guys arguing with each other and a lot of it I don't understand. And they're using imagery that doesn't make sense to me. Think about the context. The context is a calamity that has taken place, has fallen on the head of the man who is considered, not, not by his neighbors and, and, and certainly not just by me, but the Bible itself says the most righteous, the best man who lived in the East. That's Job. That's who Job was. And the next thing you know, you have, you have this scene in which all of his children are wiped out. I mean, all of them, sons and daughters. And then on top of that, he loses all of his wealth. He was also a very affluent guy. And he just, he loses everything. And then on top of that, he loses his health. And he becomes such a, a pitiful, morbid-looking individual that his friends see him from afar and they get into the posture in the ancient world of a funeral because they think he's dead. And if he's not dead, he wishes, we wish he was dead. Now you think about that context and all of a sudden what Job is talking about becomes very pertinent. Verse 13. Where do we find the wisdom of life? No mortal comprehends its worth. It cannot be found in the land of the living. Verse 21, It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the birds in the sky. Then notice verse 23, God understands the way to it, and He alone knows where it dwells. What this text is saying, let me, let me put it to you this way. Ah. Uh, there, there is a, a, a writer of commentaries and of, of theological books that, that I, I, just, I, think is, I just think the guy is not only fascinating in the way he writes, I just think he's really profound. I love his writings. And about a month ago, he gets a phone call. 
And it's the boyfriend of his daughter living in another city where the daughter lives. The daughter is in her late 20s, about 28 years old or so. And the young man is frantic. It's the fiancé, and he's saying, your daughter is dead. We don't know what happened. Your daughter's dead. Your daughter's dead. Your daughter's dead. Not a clue as to what happened. Something uh, terribly wrong physically. Uh, It just went wrong for this young woman, and she died in her apartment. And, and, and this guy and his wife are reeling from the shock of the weight of the impact of the death of a child. And we have people in our church family who have gone through that. And just in my telling the story, they are beginning to identify with those feelings again. And one of the things that he and his wife said to each other over and over and over again is that God is not the problem here. God is the solution. What the the 28th chapter of Job is trying to communicate to us is that there is someone who understands the human heart and there is someone who understands the seasons and the settings, and there is someone who understands the complexities of life, and that there is somebody who knows when we feel jubilation in our hearts, and there's somebody that understands what it's like to be crushed under the weight and the the burden and and the, the crushing pounding of a loss like a child. And that someone is someone who knows how life works. This one knows the right path to take and the right thing to do and the right choice to make and the right thing to say, and it's God. It's God our Creator and God our Shepherd and God our Savior and God our Lord and our King. It is God who has ultimate wisdom. Therefore, the only wisdom worth having is God's wisdom. God alone is wise. Let's say that together. God alone is wise. Let's say it again. God alone is wise. Chapter 28, verse 24, For He views the ends of the earth, and He sees everything under the heavens. God knows everything because He made everything. Now what is interesting here is that in all of the ancient accounts of creation, the creation of the world, how we all got here, how the world, the universe got here, it all involves explosions, it all involves conflict and war. The Gnostic accounts of the creation of the world are just an example of this. But the Bible says that God and God alone, without any rivals, created the heavens and the earth. It was the result of an artist the result of a craftsman in a manner of speaking. And that's why the the earth and the universe has order and paths and measures. It's orderly. And so at the end of, of, of Job 28, when he established the force of the wind and measured out the waters when he made a decree for the rain and a path and a path for the thunderstorm, then he looked at wisdom and appraised it. He confirmed it and tested it. This, according to verses 25 and 27, through 27, the terra firma, 
This world, where we are standing, this is not a world where living any way you want works because there is a moral order to it. It was created for a reason. It was created with, with a purpose. But at the same time, there are things that happen in this world that only God can understand because only God sees everything. Think of it in these three layers. Creation, number one. The world was created good. The world was created to be a place that represented what was going on in God's mind. He thought it and said it, and it became this good creation. But then there's the second thing, which is the fall. Human beings decided that maybe God wasn't wise after all. Maybe we could be wise in our own eyes. Maybe God didn't have our best interests at, at heart. Maybe we should take that under our own advisement. And we ate what was forbidden. And because of the rejecting of God, death enters into our experience along with a lot of other bad things. But then there's redemption. At the same time, the Bible is clear that God will not allow the evil to rule the day, that, it, that He will not allow that evil to continue forever and ever. He is doing something about it. God is working through the brokenness to bring about the good. Think Romans chapter 8. No wonder it's so complicated at times, right? Only God has figured it out. And that is why the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 1, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. So we don't have it, but we can get it. If Job had stopped at verse 27, then the message would be, you need wisdom, but you can't get it. That's why verse 28 is pretty important. How do you become a wise person? I mean, really. How do you become a wise person? There is a way to begin to develop wisdom. It's in Proverbs. It's here in Job. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. Job 28, verse 28, And he said to the human race, the fear of the Lord, that is, say it, wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. The one thing we are given here is to fear the Lord. It sounds a little complicated because we think immediately of being scared of the Lord. That's what it means to fear Him, is to be afraid of Him. But think of it in this context, Psalm 130 and verse 4. But with you there is forgiveness, which is a pretty good thing, don't you think? It reestablishes a relationship that you want to continue. But with you, verse 4, there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. Guess what that word reverence is in the original language? The same word for fear. It doesn't mean scared. It means reverence. It, do, it, it means stillness. It means being, being filled with awe. Think, think about a, a beautiful piece of scenery. You stand before it quiet because you are in the presence of something magnificent. You want to honor it in, a, in, in that kind of way to show respect to it. You want to be quiet so that you can drink it all in. Why do, why do we get upset when a cell phone goes off at the symphony? 
Why do we get upset when a cell phone goes off at the movie? Why do we get upset when a cell phone goes off in worship? It's because we, we want to be still and to drink it in. We want to honor it. To fear God is not just to obey Him because we are scared. It is to stand before God with this inner reverence and to be filled with awe because of His being. And so here is Job suffering, the loss of children through calamity. I mean, it's hard for me to even say that and move on. I mean, loss of children through calamity. The loss of wealth through disaster. The loss of health through disease. And then his wife comes up. And she says, why don't you just curse God and go die? This poem on wisdom called Job is written in the context of suffering that is nearly unparalleled. Why is this crucial? Well, because it has to do with trusting God when we don't understand. I remember when we had to get some shots for Jordan when we were living in Brazil. I'm telling you, Jordan did not like shots in the least. And he was, you know, he was born six or seven weeks premature. I used to be able to cover him when he was first born. He's laying in that, that, um, that, uh, that hospital bassinet, and I could cover him. I have a picture of my hands covering him. He was so little. But that didn't mean he wasn't strong as an ox. And he was. And, he, and when he didn't like something, he didn't like it. He didn't look shots at all. And I remember, you know, Ellen said, you know what, we just, you, you need to come. And so I went to the doctor's office with her, and it came time for him to get his shot. And I said, son, I'm sorry. Uh, this is going to hurt you more than it's going to hurt me. <laughs> it's a hard world. There's calamity. <laughs> get used to it. And the look of betrayal on his face. He didn't know why he was getting that shot. All he knew was that it hurt, and he didn't like it. And I remember saying to him these words, Son, I know you don't like these shots, and I know they hurt, but you need them, and you've got to trust me. It'll be over just like that, but you've got to trust me. We all have to be still, because these things are important. Now, we're in the the same kind of spot when it comes to this kind of wisdom. You know, the secularist that doesn't, you know, doesn't have an answer for all the calamity, what happens when calamity hits? Gets frantic. The moralist who says, I'm controlling everything by what is doing right. I'm not making any missteps. Uh, what's happening with my money? What's happening with my life? What's happening with my health? It's all going, I'm making good decisions. And then calamity hits, I, he gets angry because I don't deserve this. But the wise person looks to God. The wise person, regardless of the degree of calamity that hits, looks to God and says, God, you're not the problem. You're the answer to this thing that's going on here. Heart is breaking. You're still before God, and you say, God, you're the answer here, not the problem. There's a disaster at work. There's a disaster in a relationship. Something happens that is... is Near calamity, it's tragic in proportion. You look to God in stillness, you say, you're the answer, God, not the problem. And that's what a wise person looks like, what what he looks like to God. 
He becomes still before Him. And He says, not my will be done, but yours. The wise person says, I will live, always live in your presence. You know, when Jesus was on the cross, they mocked Him. They said all kinds of ridiculous things. All kinds of absurd, ridiculous things. He would save the world, but He can't even save Himself. If He's the Savior, then let Him come down off of that cross. Then He'll show us. Could He have done it? Yes. But He didn't. He could have, but He didn't. Jesus could have called 10,000 angels. He could have conjured up the power of heaven that created the heavens and the earth and blown to smithereens a little country about the size of a post stamp on a globe. He could have, but he didn't. Because he was being still before God. He was submitting to God. In the garden, he said to God, Thy will be done. And on the cross, he lived in God's presence doing that will. And when you look at that, you know that you can be still and that you can stay put with God because you see God being still for you and for your good by hanging on that cross. Ben's going to lead us in a song right now. We stand and we sing this with all of our hearts. Some of our shepherds are down here at the front. Sometimes we feel moved by by the Word of God or by the prayer or by celebrating the cross. Go ahead and stand. And <laughs> Wisdom says everybody stand. You don't have to be Simon. Wisdom says stand. You, you know, sometimes we're moved by, by a prayer or by something happened in Bible class or we just see something happen in the assembly. We hear it, we experience it, and something changes inside of us. And maybe it's the decision that, you know what, today's the day. Today's the day I've been putting off. The wise thing to do today is for me to give my life to Jesus in such a way that, that, that I get every benefit, every blessing that, that comes from His cross. And there's, there's an, an, another opportunity, maybe by being convicted by that Word and you're already a Christian, that here's the opportunity for me to have the prayers of the church for wisdom and to do what honors God and, and to do the right thing, to do the right thing that honors God, knowing that He is King and He is the shepherd of all of our lives. Don't, don't, don't squelch that. Don't squelch it. But come and talk to these shepherds and for the rest of us. Let's be still before God and in reverence and awe. Let's sing together. When we walk with the Lord in the light of 